the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. It represents everything that is filthy. So the dung gate for us is a picture of the very thing that leads, that opens up to the Valley of Hinnom, that opens up to Gehenna. What is the door that leads to hell? It's sin. The dung gate reminds us of the filthiness of our own lives. It reminds us of sin. And here's the thing. We must continue to deal with sin in our own lives personally and address sin in the life of the church corporately. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Nehemiah. Sin is not the most popular topic to discuss, even in many churches today. However, it needs to be not only discussed openly, but dealt with completely. In today's teaching, Pastor Gary teaches on sin as we read through the rebuilding of Jerusalem's gates. One gate in particular, the Dung Gate, was the city dump where all the refuse was thrown out and burned. This illustrates how we should deal with our sin in the same way. Don't let it pile up in your heart and try to hide it. It'll stink up your life. Throw it out by confessing and repenting today. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in Nehemiah 3 for part one of today's message titled, Examining Our Gates, Sin. If you'll turn to the book of Nehemiah with me, I'm going to be in chapter 3. And we've been looking at the rebuilding of the city walls and gates of Jerusalem under the leadership of Nehemiah, a Jew who was living as a cupbearer to the king in Persia. He gets permission from his boss to go to the land of his forefathers and to be the one who is responsible for overseeing the rebuilding of the walls and gates of Jerusalem. And thus the book we're studying is named after him. Nehemiah gets permission, goes, leads this rebuilding process here. And he starts in particular with the rebuilding of the gates and putting them back on their hinges and then building the adjoining sections of the walls until the next gate. We talked about how the temple to the north and the center, it was encircled by 10 gates. Chapter 3 tells us each gate is named, each gate has a purpose, and each gate has a corresponding application for us today that we can look at these and we're studying these gates to understand what are some of the practical things that these apply to concerning our lives today and the life of our church in a larger sense. So, so far we've looked at the first four gates. They started repairing and rebuilding the walls and the gates in a counterclockwise direction, starting with the sheep gate in the northeast corner of, of Jerusalem. 
The sheep gate was the gate through which all the lambs were brought to be sacrificed at the temple, followed by the fish gate, which was the gate through which all the fishermen came to put their fish up for sale at market. And then the old gate, the Yoshana gate, was the place where all the elders of the city would seat themselves to be able to give decisions on matters of dispute and to dispense truth. So that was the old gate. And then we looked at the valley gate. The valley gate opened up to the central valley of Jerusalem called the Tyropian Valley. We talked about how valleys are often indicative of the low points in our lives. And so from these four gates so far, we've made these four applications. And the numbering is continuing from the book of Ezra in through Nehemiah. Number 11, when we look at the sheep gate, it reminds us of Jesus, who is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. And we talked about how we must continue to present Jesus as the only way to be saved. Followed by the fish gate, which reminds us of evangelism. Jesus took a few fishermen and made them his disciples. And he said, I will make you fishers of men. And so we must continue to cast the net so that others might come to faith in Jesus. When we talked about the old gate and the historic place where the elders would gather, it reminds us of truth, that we must continue to live by, stand for, and share with others absolute biblical truth in a time when truth is becoming increasingly subjective and relative. And then finally, the application from the valley gate was that it reminds us of trials and how we must continue to present the hope of Jesus to those experiencing the lows of the valley. Even David would talk about his own low points in Psalm 23 when he talked about, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff that comfort me. So those four we've looked at so far, and now we're going to look at the fifth one, and we're going to go counterclockwise, still continuing in that direction as it's revealed in chapter 3, and we're going to go to the bottom of the city for the dung gate. Cha-ching! All right. The bottom of the city, and we're going to get to the bottom of this, the dung gate. There's going to be a few bottom jokes, I'm sure, before the day's over. I'm sophomoric, I know it, just deal with it. But anyhow, here we are at the dung gate. It is at the southern place of the city. All things flow south, friends. That's just the way it goes. And the southern part of the city is the lower elevation, so it makes sense that this is the direction for all the stuff to go. In chapter 3 of Nehemiah, the Dungate is mentioned twice, in verse 13 and in verse 14. So I'm going to read these two verses. 13 says, The valley gate was repaired by Hanun and the residents of Zenoah. They rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. They also repaired 500 yards of the wall as far as the dung gate. There's the first mention. And then verse 14 says, The dung gate was repaired by Malkiah, son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Beth Hakarem. He rebuilt it and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Now, I do find it interesting that if you've noted with us, this is the fifth gate we're studying out of ten. It's the only gate we're going to get to today, because there's a lot here. But the first four gates are rebuilt by multiple people. People get together and like, yeah, let's rebuild the sheep gate. Let's do the fish gate. Yeah, let's do the... When you get to the dung gate, there's only one guy who builds this gate, okay? I don't blame anybody else. Can you see Malkia standing up there going, who wants to help me rebuild the poop gate? Anybody? Anybody want to help me rebuild that? Nobody signs up for it. But this guy says, all right, nobody wants to hang the dung gate. I'll go ahead and do it. I'll touch it. You know, his name, by the way, Malkiah, comes from two Hebrew words, Malach, meaning king, and Yahweh, meaning God. So his name means my God is king. And it takes a guy whose God is king to hang the dung gate. And he's that man. So we applaud him. Now, I'm in a role as a teacher. That's, you know, what I do here. So as a pastor teacher, and I think a good teacher, at least, is supposed to make sure that everybody knows 
the terms and what we're talking about, and I don't want to assume that everybody knows what dung means. Um, and so I want to define it for you. It's basically dung has to do with animal manure in its strictest sense. Now, in biblical times, it was a little broader than that, and I'll get to that in a moment, but, but this is the basic understanding of dung. I'm going to share with you first my dung story. I have a dung experience. It's a dung story that I just want to leave with you. But it was about when I was around 10 years of age, okay? Um, you know, I'm pretty much a city kid. But every once in a while, I would get some country life because my grandmother was born and raised on a farm near Myersville, Maryland. She was one of 15 kids. She had two sisters and 12 brothers. So there were 12 guys and three girls growing up in this home. And the family homestead was built in the late 1800s. In fact, it's still in the family. My cousin owns it and lives in it today. But there was a time when my grandmother and all her brothers and sisters were living that the farm was open on every Thursday. The family homestead was open for people to come and just have a meal together. And so I remember most Thursdays, at least during the summer, I'd go with my grandmother to her birthplace, the family farm, and many acres of cows, pasture land, and all this kind of stuff. And we'd go out there and have a family meal with my great aunts and uncles and cousins. And one day there, my cousins and I got together and we were playing baseball up in the cow fields. And we were looking at Uncle Leo's barn, because Uncle Leo, one of the brothers, owned it and lived there, inherited it from his parents. And we're looking around, no wooden baseball bats, no gloves. Uncle Leo, his, all his kids were grown at this point. But we did happen to find a plastic bat and a wiffle ball. We're like, oh, that's good enough. We're just, you know, a couple of 10, 11, 12-year-old boys. So we were up in the cow fields, and we're just playing baseball with a plastic bat and a wiffle ball. Well, as kids do, you walk away and you leave things. So we finished the game. We forgot we left the baseball bat. We thought we were going to come back later. I noticed my Uncle Leo was driving a tractor, and he was pulling behind the tractor. All I can describe it as was a large metal barrel. And what it was, I asked my cousin, what's Uncle Leo doing? He said, and my cousin said, well, that's the pooper scooper. And what he was doing was he was driving this thing, and it would actually have this mechanism where it would scoop up all the cow pies, and it would throw it up into this barrel. Now, the barrel, they called it the honey wagon. I don't know if my Uncle Leo made that up or if all farmers called it this. I can tell you something, friends. You do not want to be downwind on a hot summer day from the honey wagon. All right? It stunk terribly. And it had this emulsifier thing in it, so it would liquefy all the cow pie. Okay, I know this is not like breakfast or lunch material. But anyways, so he's driving this thing. It's the honey wagon. All right, so he didn't realize it, and we, you know, we didn't tell him in time. But he drove over the plastic bat and the wiffle ball and sucked it up inside the honey wagon. And now it was jammed. And so it wasn't working. It's grinding away. So he gets off. We see him from a distance. He gets off his tractor, and he, gets, he has to go underneath the honey wagon. And he has to reach up in the contraption here. And he's unjamming the baseball bat we had put up there. And he's just pulling and struggling and pulling and struggling. And when he finally got it dislodged, an avalanche of bovine butterscotch, my friends. I mean, it just completely covered him from head to toe. The whole thing was full. It just completely, you know. It dumped on him. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And so here he is, just completely covered. Needless to say, we never played baseball at the farm again. But that was my experience with dung. All right? So when we talk about dung, we're talking about animal manure. But you need to understand that in biblical times, the word dung was even a broader term. It meant animal manure. It meant human excrement. It meant garbage, trash, waste of any kind. That's dung. And there was actually a gate for it. 
There's a gate for dung. Why? Because you have to remember, transport yourself back to 444 BC. That's the time of Nehemiah. We had the luxury of going to our kitchen, turning on the faucet, you have running water. We go to the bathroom, we do our business, we flush the toilet, it's all good to go. Not in these days. You didn't have the luxury of this. It wasn't until the Roman Empire, the Romans started to perfect an underground sewer system with running water. But in these days, 444 BC, you would go down to the Gihon Spring, if you lived in Jerusalem, take a bucket, load up your water, and take it to your house. That's how you got water there and how would you get rid of all the waste material in your house that you produced you'd put it in a bucket and you take it down to the dung gate hopefully it was a different bucket but you get the point you have one bucket for water and one bucket for waste and you're going down to the dung gate and what they would do was they would just then throw all their waste out the dung gate they'd throw everything out the dung gate everything from human excrement to your garbage trash and everything that was just complete waste material went through the dung gate now remember from last week's study that there were three valleys that encircles the city of jerusalem still today obviously these are valleys the city of jerusalem is built on the crest of one of the knolls of the hills of mount moriah you have the kidron valley to the east of the city you have the tyropian valley or the central valley to the west of the city and then further west and swinging down to the southern part of the city is the hinnom valley now the hinnom valley is also known as the valley of ben hinnom because it is believed that hinnom was just the name of a man who owned that valley region at one point in time so in the bible sometimes it is called the valley of hinnom sometimes it is called the hinnom valley sometimes it is called the valley of the children now why is it called that please take note this particular valley and if you've been here through our study of first and second kings you will remember what i'm about to say the valley of hinnom has a terrible past in terms of what happened there the most horrible thing that happened in the valley of Hinnom was that during the period of the kings and it started when Solomon was king of Israel Solomon was supposed to be the wisest man but his downfall was that he married hundreds of foreign women the problem with being foreign was not their nationality the problem of being foreign was their spirituality that was the issue because they didn't worship the God of Abraham Isaac and Jacob and he brings into his palace women who worshiped Chemosh Molech Baal Ashtoreth all these foreign gods and goddesses and in acquiescing to his foreign wives the Bible says that Solomon actually built shrines in the valley of Hinnom and in the worship of Molech and Chemosh the Israelites at the lowest point in their history were sacrificing their children there that's why it's called even today the valley of the children they never want to forget what they did they would sacrifice their kids in the burning fire to the worship of Molech and Chemosh from the valley of Hinnom the southern part of the city it was a horrible time in Israel's history and it didn't happen only under the watch of Solomon as king it happened at different times through the period of the kings where they would engage in sacrificial worship by offering their children burning them alive in the fire this is unimaginable in fact it was so unimaginable that God said it was unimaginable he spoke through the prophet Jeremiah about this listen to Jeremiah 32 35 they built high places for Baal in the valley of Ben Hinnom to sacrifice their sons and daughters to Molech though I never commanded nor did it enter my mind that they should do such a detestable thing and so make Judah sin God says, it didn't even enter my mind. This is a horrible thing. It's detestable, the sin that they're committing. It tells us also in the Bible that this particular place was also known by another Hebrew word, the word tofeth. Tofeth is a Hebrew word, the root word of which means to beat like a drum. 
Because what they would do is when they would sacrifice their children in the fire, they would beat drums loudly to try to drown out the excruciating cries of the agony of their children. This is horrible. This is Hinnom Valley. This is that place. Josiah, who was one of the good kings, actually made a direct effort to get rid of this kind of child sacrifice. 2 Kings 23.10 says about Josiah that he desecrated Topheth, which was in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, so no one could use it to sacrifice his son or daughter in the fire by Molech, or fire to Molech. So Josiah did a good thing, but this was periodically a problem in Israel. They would sacrifice their children in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, just south of the Dung Gate. That's the history and the past of this thing. By the time Nehemiah comes here to Jerusalem in 444 B.C., they're not sacrificing children anymore because when the Israelites were sent off to captivity for 70 years in Babylon, God purged them of that. He purged them of idolatry and paganism and purged them of the need to have a king like the other nations around them. When they would come back to Jerusalem after 70 years of captivity, they would never sacrifice children again. They would never worship idols. They would never ask for a king. But when Nehemiah now is governor over this region and he leads the rebuilding process, here's what happens to the Valley of Hinnom. Because it's a place with such a horrible history, this is a place of the sacrifice of our children. This is a place of death and murder and sacrifice. We're going to turn this lower part of the Valley of Hinnom into the city dump. And that's basically what happens. Thus, the dung gate led out to the city dump. And everything that you had that was of waste material, you would take through the dung gate and you would discard it there in the valley of Hinnom. Now, this is interesting because in order to keep disease limited and in order to make sure that the garbage pile just didn't keep growing in this valley, they burned it. And it was continually on fire. The city dot was continually on fire. And I want you to imagine this. I know it's not the prettiest picture, but you have to imagine this to understand the practical truth that I'm about to explain to you here. You have to imagine the sight, the stench, and the smoke that is continually rising from this place. It is vile. It is grotesque, putrefied. This is a horrible thing to think about and behold and smell and the whole deal. Now... Jesus will point to this location as a visual illustration in small part of hell. I want you to leave the book of Nehemiah and I want you to go to the book of Mark in your New Testaments, Mark chapter 9, Matthew and then Mark chapter 9. And I want you to see Jesus referring to this very place and using it as a visual illustration for hell. That's how horrible this particular location was here at the southern part of the city of Jerusalem. Mark chapter 9, and I'm going to read starting at verse 43 to 48. These are the words of Jesus. He's going to mention hell in these verses three times, okay? And we're going to define here what he means when he talks about it. So in Mark 9, 43, he says, If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. Notice that. Same similarity to the Valley of Hinnom. Verse 45, And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. 
Okay, now if you have a King James Bible, it uses that last phrase three different times. Every time Jesus mentions hell, he talks about then how the worm doesn't die and the fire is never quenched. In the NIV, it only appears once at the end of verse 48. But it's, it's the same message. And he's using the city dump to compare with the horrific conditions of hell. He says, just like that, there's going to be some parts of the city dump where maggots and flies are doing their thing, other parts where it's on fire continually. It's a combination of the worm that never dies and the fire that is never quenched. He says, I want you to understand this is like hell. Now, please note with me his drastic language here. What is this whole part about cutting off limbs and gouging out eyes? Please relax, okay? He's not talking literally. He's not talking literally. If he were talking literally, We'd all be walking in here with prosthetics and eye patches, all right? We'd all be looking like pirates. That's not what he means. He doesn't mean literally start doing these things. But he's using drastic language to communicate a strong point. And here's his point. You better deal seriously with sin. Not literally, but you better deal seriously with it. Because heaven and hell hangs in the balance. You better deal with sin seriously in your life. And so he refers to hell here. Now check this out. There are 12 times that Jesus uses the word hell through the Gospels. And by the way, in the Gospel of John, he never mentions the word hell. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he mentions the word hell 12 times. 11 out of 12 times, including all the times we just read here in Mark 9, 11 out of the 12 times, he uses this word, Gehenna, the word for hell. It is from the Hebrew, Gehinom, which translates the Valley of Hinnom. That's how we know that he's pointing to the city dump and he's comparing it in small part. Here's a tiny picture of what hell is like. Folks, we need to realize hell is real. It is not a fable. It is not a figment of our imagination. Hell is real. And it is described in the Bible as a place of torment, a place of suffering, a place of fire. It is a place of outer darkness. It is a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That describes the excruciating suffering component to it. Hell is real. And Jesus is warning people, listen, hell is going to be, unfortunately, a real place for people unless they deal with sin. Unless they deal with sin. So now when you put all this together, the whole idea of the city dump and the dung gate, and Jesus referring to the city dump as a small picture of hell perpetually on fire, the worm that never dies. Because by the way, you don't get annihilated in hell. It's a perpetual place of suffering, just like the worm that never dies. So all of this language and stuff is very figurative, but very expressive about a real thing. And therefore, when we consider the dung gate, here's the application for us in modern terms. It represents everything that is filthy. It represents everything that is filthy. So the dung gate for us is a picture of the very thing that leads, that opens up to the valley of Hinnom, that opens up to Gehenna. What is the door that leads to hell? It's sin. The dung gate reminds us of the filthiness of our own lives. It reminds us of sin. And here's the thing. We must continue to deal with sin in our own lives personally and address sin in the life of the church corporately. Now, let me start with that last one first, and then we'll circle back to dealing with it personally. What does it mean to deal with the sin in the life of the church corporately? This, this is what I mean by that. I, out of necessity, have to continue to talk about sin as I teach through the Bible because sin is mentioned all through the Bible, 
as being the human condition that causes us to be separate from God, to not have relationship with Him, and the ultimate thing that if it's not dealt with will cause us to die off, to be eternally separated from God and end up in hell. This is why Jesus was talking about it. Deal with the sin issues. And so here at church, we will continue to deal with sin issues. That's all we have time for today on Cornerstone Connection. We're so glad you've taken the time out of your day to join us for a period of learning and encouragement for your life. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we'd encourage you to share it with someone you feel could use a little blessing as well. You can find and share this and many additional messages online at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also subscribe to our podcast or take us with you on the go with our mobile app. Pastor Gary has also created companion resources that go along with some of the studies he's done. These are available on our website as well. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. We at Cornerstone Connection believe that life is done better in community. Are you part of a local body of believers? For those of you in the Leesburg, Virginia area, we'd like to invite you to join us in person at Cornerstone Chapel. Come to our weekend services and find a warm group of people who would love to be your community. Weekend services are held Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m. And we have a midweek gathering on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you'll come back next time as Pastor Gary continues through the book of Nehemiah on Cornerstone Connection. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.